Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Uh, hope you're all having a great discussion, uh, thinking about what, uh, what good advice your parents gave you. Good morning, church. My name's Ray. Uh, growing up, my mum taught me uh, a cluttered desk is a cluttered mind. So whenever I studied, I always uh, keep, keep uh, my desk nice and clean. Uh, it helps me study. So that's what my mum my taught. Uh, this morning's Bible reading comes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the, uh, of the Bible, uh, and it consists of speeches from Moses uh, to, uh, to the people about to enter a, the, the promised land. Um, so we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commandments, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after me may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these, all his decrees and commandments I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the roads. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord, you, you, when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, Wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you, and he will and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out, from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on earth to our ancestors. 
the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ray, for that Bible reading. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here today. Uh, and today we're looking at our third topic uh, of our, uh, or fourth topic, actually, sermon on our gospel-centered families or gospel-shaped families. Uh, and today we'll be particularly looking at uh, the first part of gospel-shaped parenting, what that looks like. Uh, just before I get into the sermon, though, just a few uh, things um, that I, I think I should mention. Uh, you might have noticed on Facebook this week that we, we said that this week there would be a Q&A specifically um, about the series so far, any questions that you have. Um, uh, particularly after last week's sermon, there was a lot of questions that, that were raised. Um, we were going to plan, planning to have it today, but unfortunately, Pastor Iggy um, is unable to come today because uh, Jakey is really, really sick. Um, so that we, the Q&A session will be moved uh, two weeks in, uh, later. Uh, so please keep those questions coming. If you have any questions from uh, this week's sermon as well, keep them coming and then we'll answer them hopefully uh, in two weeks' time. Uh, secondly, uh, today's sermon, since it's all about uh, parenting, uh, it might be painful or hard for some of us to hear. Uh, so maybe you're someone that really wants to have kids, but uh, for whatever reason you're unable to, or maybe you've lost a child in the past and, and you, you yearn for, you, you long for that that. Um, being able to, to parent again. Um, but can I just remind you guys, can I just encourage you guys to uh, keep listening because re remember in the gospel, uh, we have a permanent, perfect family in Christ, the church. That even if we don't have kids of our own, we are still parents because there are kids in the church family that we are still responsible for, caring for, and we can share that joy together. Uh, and finally, uh, this sermon, I, I'm uh, going to be really focusing on parents, and so um, uh, singles, I'm not going to be, um, or people without kids, I'm not going to be addressing so much, but please remember that, again, we all have a responsibility to be parents to kids uh, in our congregation, and so as, we, as I talk about um, the principles that gospel-shaped parenting is built upon, uh, please don't tune out, but think about how uh, this can affect how you um, impress the values of the gospel um, as you interact with the kids in the church as well, or even uh, when you become parents one day. That was a big uh, intro before the intro, so how about I, I quickly pray and let's ground us back uh, in God's word before we uh, start properly. Father God, thank you so much for uh, the gift of parenting. Thank you for your word, which um, shows us what we are to build our foundations on. And so, Father, please help us to build um, our, our understanding of parenting from your word and from that alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the point of having children? I don't know if you've thought about that before. What, what, is, what, what is the goal? What is the purpose of having children? Right? Uh, for some of us, being a parent is a matter of personal identity. It's something that we must do. And so we might pursue marriage and parenthood because it makes us feel complete. 
just simply being a mom or a dad. Yes, that's what being human is about. Uh, for some, it's, it's the ability to create a family, to, to carry on the family name for some cultures, uh, to raise up the next generation and pass on our key values to make the world a better place for the future. Uh, others might, might want to have a family because they want to fix all the mistakes of their parents. Uh, maybe growing up, they felt like an injustice or unfairness uh, that they were put upon them, and so they vowed, I will never be like my mum or my, or my dad to my own kids. Maybe some might just have a lot of social pressure uh, and expectations that you just have to have kids. That, that's what part of growing up is, and so people do have kids for that reason. But for an increasing number of people in the West particularly, kids are seen at best as an inconvenience, right? They just get in the way. Uh, and some might go so far as to say that having kids was the worst decision of their lives. Uh, like, it didn't take much Googling for me to find a big list of reasons why you shouldn't have kids. Let me just list some of the articles that I found as I was doing a search. Time Magazine, why I have zero regrets about my childless life. New York Times, given the state of the world, is it irresponsible to have kids? Sydney Morning Herald, having a kid is probably my biggest life regret. And wife concurs. Our world is so overpopulated already, our resources are running scarce. Having kids will mean that you'll no longer be able to live the full life anymore. You won't be able to enjoy your time. You can't go overseas as much anymore. It's terrible, people say. But of course, remember from last week, the values of the gospel, it doesn't call us to selfishness. It doesn't call us to see how all the things that God has given us is there to serve us. But the gospel calls us to selflessness. And so having kids is also the same, isn't it? Having kids can't simply be something to make ourselves feel fulfilled and satisfied, even though it brings joy to our lives. Having kids isn't without tremendous value because of that. It isn't something that we should avoid at all costs if we are to find happiness and find fulfillment in our lives. So if that's the case, then how are we to think about parenting? Well, that brings us to our first point. And that is in the Bible. Children are presented as a blessing. Can I have the first slide, please? Thank you. Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Uh, next slide, please. Oh, sorry, I didn't turn this on. My fault again. Yep, here we go. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. See the imagery there? The more children that you have, the more arrows you have in your quiver. It's a blessing. It's a heritage. It's a reward from God. How different is that? To how our world thinks. And the very next psalm, Psalm 128. Blessed, verse 1, are all who fear the Lord because, what happens? Your children will become like olive shoots around the table. Verse 6, may you live, this is a blessing of the Lord, remember, may you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. And not being able to bear children, well, there's a rightful grief in that. There's a cause for lament. Just listen to Hannah's prayer to God as she struggles in her childlessness. Oh, not, 
I didn't add that in. But from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, hear Hannah's anguish. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly because she was without a child. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you would only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Right? The Bible affirms that it, it's, it's sad. There is grief when there is childlessness. That part of the human experience is the raising of children to the process of caring for someone so utterly dependent on your love and your care for them. Being part of an environment where intimacy, support, and unconditional love and commitment is the bedrock of the relationship within it. And those of us who are parents already, we've experienced that joy already, right? The blessing and even the, the sheer terror of realizing that someone's life is within your hands, that they are totally dependent on you. Their survival, their well-being will depend on your love, your support, and the sacrifices that you will make for them. That humbling moment when you're realizing that you've got no idea what to do with this thing they're now carrying. And then there's the joys of witnessing firsthand the growth of a child and just being amazed at God's work as you see them learn their first steps. When they start babbling, start saying mama or dada for the first time, I mean, I'm just now even amazed to see my daughter's ability to draw just grow phenomenally week after week. As I hear my son learn and memorize the alphabet song, not even in English, but in other languages as well. I I don't even know how he does it. And I can't wait to see the growth that awaits in the years to come. But as good as that is, and that's a great and fantastic experience to have as, as a parent, as good as that is, in God's word, there's a far more fundamental purpose and goodness that comes out of having children. There's another reason why children are so valuable in God's sight. Let's just go right to the beginning. Genesis 1. Uh, next slide, please. Yeah, thank you. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, this is Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, as Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, their task was not simply to maintain this little patch of grass in the Middle East somewhere, but in view was the final goal of seeing the whole world governed, filled by God's rule by God's good rule. And of course, that means that Adam and Eve couldn't do it by themselves, right? And God's means for seeing this universal playing out of his rule in the world was that his people, made in his image, would grow to multiply, to bear children, increase in number, and fill the whole world. That was God's good way of caring for his creation. Children, God's good way for his influence to keep growing and growing and growing. What about today? Because now that Jesus has come, 
He's opened the gates to God's kingdom for us to go into. He's paid our entry fee through his blood. Now that children, uh, through biological means, is not the main way that God's kingdom grows, right? God's kingdom grows by the outpouring of his spirit, by the inner transformation, by God's grace. We simply become God's children by trusting in Jesus. What does that mean for having biological children then? Well, I think it's clear that having children is still a great blessing that hasn't changed. But when we view children as being part of God's purpose, well, I think there's a passage that absolutely is fundamental to how we think about parenting. And this passage isn't perhaps the one that you would think about naturally when it comes to parenting. But it is a well-known one. Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, this is after his resurrection and he's about, to be, he's about to ascend into heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is... The the task of parenting is fundamentally the task of making disciples. This is why the task of parenting is so important. It's so valuable. Because it's so easy for us as Christians, as as parents, to separate out our ministry for God, whether that be at work, whether that be at church, with our private family life, isn't it? We can think of the mission field being out there. But there's actually a mission field in our very homes. And all of us who have kids are witnessing to them, showing them God's love, evangelizing to them with how we parent them, urging them through our lives to urge them to follow Jesus as our lives are on display, as the Christian life is on display 24-7 for them. And how, how does seeing our homes as a mission field change things? Well, the first thing is we need to focus on relationship. We need to be showing God's love to them in person rather than simply sending them off to school, uh, to Sunday school, simply teaching them God's word without actually showing them God's love. And we know this already, right? We know that our evangelism in our workplaces as we share Jesus with our friends, it's not simply just talking about Jesus. It can't be that. But as we've seen in past interviews, with, uh, uh, those, of, um, those guys who have been sharing Jesus in, in their respective workplaces, it, it's about relationship. It's about caring for them, genuine care, not some made-up care. It's not treating people as a project so that they eventually come to know Jesus. But it's genuinely spending time with people, getting to know them, to love them holistically. We don't just keep pointing out which aspects of their lives are not in line with God's will and then we, we, we slam them for it. We need to build relational credit. Genuinely, I must stress again, not in a manipulative way, because we need to build relationship before our gospeling words have any impact. And of course, we can only do that with our kids as well, right? If we are actually present with our kids. Now, last week, Pastor Iggy and Ching shared really powerfully about the importance and the impact of mums being available, being around to nurture children from a young age. But the same 
it's not just for mums, is it? Because it's so easy, it's so common for myself as a dad or other dads to think of parenting primarily as a task for mums and mums alone. That because they might see themselves as the primary breadwinner, they're excused from the God-given task of raising their children, of building a strong relationship with them. After a long, hard day's work, to come home and think, I've done my part for the family. So now it's my turn to sit down, relax, to disengage. My family's there to serve me instead of me serving my family. But there's no exemptions in the Bible, is there, for dads to be called to raise up their kids to follow God. Both parents need to, be equally, need to equally see the immense value to be equally invested in and to make time for making disciples of, of Jesus in their own homes. That what they're hoping to see by God's power and grace is that our kids might be transferred from the kingdom of sin and darkness into the kingdom of righteousness and light. And so for both mums and dads, is this the number one hope for your family? And we might say, yes, of course it is. But do the hours that we spend at work, compared to the hours you spend with your kids and your family, reflect this critical role you have been given to disciple your kids? And again, it's not just for women, it's for men as well. Think about how many hours you're working. What are the times that you actually come home and, and spend with your kids? And now, this doesn't mean, of course, like uh, I think um, a question that came up last week was, is it wrong for uh, moms to go back to work? Of course it's not wrong to go back to work. But the question really on our mind is, what's best for our kids? And we're going to explore a little bit of this later as well. But for now, that, just think about that. That's the question that should be on our mind. Not how many hours should I work? Can I go back to work? But are my choices really reflecting what's best for my kids? And so if that really is important, if making disciples of our kids for Jesus' glory really is the most important thing, then for our ministry, for our evangelism, our discipleship to our kids to have any impact at all, we must be surely investing our relationships in them, with them, spending time with them, understanding them, being interested and in invested in what they love doing, what they enjoy doing, instead of simply loading them with our demands and hopes and dreams on them. Now, for some of us, this building relationships, things with, with our kids, doing what they love with them, does that mean that we let them do whatever they want to do, right? We sort of put these things at a polar opposites, but that's not the case at all. Because as we build relationship with our kids, that's how our words can have a greater effect on our kids. I know that if I spend a lot of time playing with my kids, as draining as I find that to be, I know that they're far more likely to listen to what I tell them. And so if that's the case, what are we, how are we to be shaping them for God's glory? Let us open uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 again, to the passage that we read this morning. Open up to Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, verse 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. 
verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Uh, as Ray already mentioned, uh, this passage um, that uh, Moses is giving to the Israelites, this is his last message as they prepare to enter the promised land that God has given them, has promised to give them. And as God's redeemed people, as God's own children, this is how they are to live. They are to obey God's commandments. But this isn't just an individualistic response. It's not like each one of you, you, you just obey God on your own. No, they aren't to do this by themselves, but they are to pass on these laws from generation to generation. God's people are to impress them on their children. Think of the stamp on a lump of soft clay. You take the stamp out and there's a mark of the law on the clay. Or a chisel marking out something really important in stone permanently. Right? That's the job of the parent, to make sure God's word and God's law is to be so impressed, so worked into their kids that it has an obvious and lasting impact on their children. An impression so strong that when people look at our kids, they're able to see God's stamp of the law all over them. Sounds like a hard task to achieve, isn't it? How are we to achieve this? Verse 7. They are to talk about the law everywhere and all the time. When they are sitting, when they are walking, even when they are lying down or getting up. Basically, God's people are to teach their children about God and His ways no matter where they are, no matter what they are doing. So for us, on the way to school, talk to God. Pray about your day as, they walk to, as we walk to our schools. At the dinner table, ask God how He has been working in our lives. So ask, ask the kids, rather, how God has been working in our lives. As we comfort our children when they are upset, Bring God's love for them into the conversation. After a big day of fun with the family, praise the Lord together. Praise Him for the gift of family. See, let our time with our kids be completely immersed in God's word and God's ways. Let every single moment be an opportunity to impress God's law, God's word into our children. But more than that, We are to make physical reminders of God's law. Verse 8, reminders on their hands, even their foreheads. They are to be walking reminders of God's law as God's law is dangling literally right between their eyes. Reminders on the door frames, on the gates. Every time we leave the house, every time we come back into the house, we are to remember God's word. Now, This is talking more than simply how you decorate your home with posters or Jesus fish symbols on your car, right? I mean, that's, that's great, do that. But what is the function of these things? Is that when you step into a home, if you look at your poster or your uh, decoration, we're to be reminded of God's love for us. We're to be reminded that we are holy, we are different for God's glory. And to remind ourselves that we have the task of passing on that from generation to generation as we raise our kids. Now, when we think about the law, 
Now, particularly in Deuteronomy, we might think, it's all about following rules, isn't it? Is, is, is that what it's about? Uh, Christian parenting is about making sure our kids grow up to be moral people, following a good set of rules. But it's more than simply teaching them a bunch of rules. Why? Because in verse 4 to 5, it's ultimately about loving God. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Right? Love is what is at the heart of the law. Love God with all you have. And out of that love, that is how you are to obey Him. And that goes way beyond simply doing things, doesn't it? It goes way beyond simply regulating behavior. Do this, don't do that. But it's ultimately about a heart change, a, a deep desire and passion within us and within our kids to want to please God, to want to obey out of gratitude and reverence. And what is the motiv- motivation behind this? Because you can't just tell someone, you must love me for no reason, right? There must be a reason. Well, the core of it is the gospel core, the same core that we have. Let's go down to Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. In the future, verse 20, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. And so, verse 24, The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God. See, why do we teach our children to to love God, to live the way that God wants us to? Why do we tell our kids to dwell richly on His Word, to obey His commands? Well, that's because that's the only proper response to the God who first rescued us from our own slavery. The God who through incredible means redeems us as his own. The God who freely promises us blessings that we could never have even dreamt of. For Israel, that was the redemption from slavery out of Egypt. How much more so do we have reasons to have reason to impress God's word and his love and his goodness upon our kids when we know that God has sent his son to die for our sins? to rescue us from the slavery, not physical slavery, but the slavery, spiritual slavery of our own sin and taking us into the promised land of eternal life with God and his new creation. And so if this is true, the gospel shapes what true blessing is for our children. Right? Because if we look at our schedules that we have laid out for our kids, if we looked at all the planned activities that we might have in store for our kids when they grow a bit older, what do they tell us about what we think is true blessing? Are our plans and schedules full of extracurricular activities for our kids, whether it be playing another musical instrument, extra tuition, gymnastics, swimming, and so on. But please, don't, don't hear me wrong. These are all good things for your kids, right? to build them up to be well-rounded, to have extra skills and abilities, to to give them extra opportunities in life, to learn a skill that they could make them feel more confident in themselves, happy, or to excel academically. We push our kids, we provide all these things for our kids out of love, don't we? 
We do this because we want good things for our children. But the question for us, though, is to see if our schedules and plans for our kids are actually not ambitious enough. Because if we truly deep down believe that the best thing for our kids is the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus on the cross, if we know without a doubt that the most important way that they can grow is growing up to live for God more and more each day for the rest of their lives, then our plans and schedules should aim far higher than simply material riches which will fade away. We should aim to to grow our kids to be far more well-rounded than having a few more instruments on their CVs. And so we prioritize God's word as a family. We make time, we schedule that in. Insist upon, book in, schedule in, prayer, both as a family together, but also in your spare time by yourself. Pray for your kids' spiritual health. And we assess our kids' progress. We see what the next step is in our kids' spiritual growth. As we research, we read books, we plan, we pray about how we can help our kids grow up to be more mature, to be more like Christ, to depend on Jesus more. Because otherwise, if we don't do that, by our actions, are we actually telling our kids that getting into a particular school is more important than getting into the kingdom of God. That progressing academically is far more important than cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. That making the right connections and networks is far more important than modeling Christ to those who are in need around us. Do we dangle out in front of our kids the prospect of becoming a doctor, a lawyer, whatever the ultimate measure of making it is? Do we threaten our kids with not being able to find a successful husband or wife as the thing that should scare them when it comes to missing out on the good life? And see, this goes way beyond simply reworking our schedules to replace tuition or other activities with more church stuff, right? This is about reflecting on ourselves as parents and asking, do we truly believe that the gospel is the best thing for our children. Now, I said at the beginning that uh, even though I'm going to be targeting uh, mainly those of us who have kids already or those who might have kids uh, coming up, but this is also so important for us, those of us here who don't have kids or might not uh, see kids um, for themselves in, in the immediate future. Because again, remember, this is the task, discipling kids is a task that we all have as we are one church family. That even though we have no children of our own biologically, we can help to instill these gospel values into the kids around us. So for those of us who are Sunday school teachers, for those of us who help out in the creche, or those of us who are just helping out a married couple with their kids in your spare time, how are you speaking to the kids? How are you instilling these values and saying, "How look how great Jesus is as you play with them, as you interact with them. As kids, as they grow, ask you, what do you think I should do when I grow up? How are you going to frame that? How are you going to frame that God's glory, growing up to please God, is the most important thing? Right? We all have a part to play. Because once we are truly convinced about the power of the gospel, 
the power of the gospel to forgive sins when nothing we or our children can ever do to be righteous with God, truly convinced about the riches and the hope laid out for us and how nothing in this world can ever compare with that? If this is the case, that means we have to pray for our kids to do that frequently and regularly. Right, prayer not just for worldly blessing. We, we can pray for that. I mean, uh, I, I do pray with Sarah a lot when we're worried about our kids' health. But pray for our kids' heart. Pray for their souls. Pray for their hearts to be softened by God to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Do that night after night. Prayer, prayer for them. Pray for them to treasure Christ and God's kingdom above anything else that this world might offer them. Pray for ourselves to faithfully model what godly parenting might look like and pray for God's forgiveness when we fail to live up to that model. I don't know how many times I've had to pray that prayer. As I reach the end of the day and I look back and I reflect on how harsh I've been with my kids, not providing that attractive model of Christ to them so that they can taste for themselves how good the gospel is, when I've forgotten to pray with them and for them, it's something that we have to keep doing. But also remember the grace of the gospel that applies to us as well. That even in our failings, we can keep coming to God, ask for forgiveness. And it's hard work, isn't it? None of this is easy. But even though it's hard, remember the immense blessing the immense importance of the task that we have been given as parents to raise up disciples of Jesus Christ in our very homes, to see our homes as a mission field. Remember what is truly best for our children whom we love. It is forgiveness of sins won for us by the Son of God. It is eternal life with God the Father. True prosperity, true success is found in that. And so let us keep making disciples for Jesus, not just out there, but in our very homes as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have given us this wonderful gospel, that through your gospel we know that your son died for sin once for all, and that all that we need to do is to hear that message, believe that message, and commit our lives to Christ. And so, Father, as we believe, those of us who believe this, we pray that we won't just know that intellectually and then live out a separate life at home. Help us to really live that out in all that we do, in all that we say, how we relate to our children. Help us to see the immense value of really loving them, to show them Christ so that they might follow Jesus. And help us to have these gospel values so impressed, not only upon our children, but upon us, that we would see what true blessing is. That the love of God and the growth, the maturity in Christ is the most important thing for our kids. And allow that, Father, we pray, help us to allow that to shape how we relate, how we treat our kids, how we spend time and prioritize for our kids. And we pray that we would be a church that would be able to raise up a next generation of kids, of followers of Christ, who are so devoted to you that they will be counting it all joy 
to sacrifice their lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks, Felix, for that message. One night I was discussing with a friend of mine the very pre-sermon question that we had, you know, what uh, lessons and values have we learned from our parents? And that kind of evolved into a 